0: A warning to our listeners, this episode contains graphic description of sexual violence, gender-based discrimination, murder, and intimate partner abuse. Listener's discretion is advised. My name is Shari Thompson-Ritchie, and this is Youth Voices, a special series from the Injury Is Not Equal podcast. This series centers youth voices. Each episode will tackle a different topic shared from a youth perspective. These episodes are for youth, from youth, and completely produced and developed by youth. On this episode, you'll be hearing from three diverse young individuals that speak candidly about teen dating violence. They will be exploring various facets of this topic, aiming to give light to an issue that is in hiding. Collaboratively, they engage in a dialogue to spread awareness and to educate. I hope you'll join us.
1: Hey guys, just a trigger warning before we get started, we talk about abuse, violence, sexual assault, grooming, murder, pedophilia, and rape. Viewer's discretion is advised. I'm Alexis, I'm here to talk to you about the intro
2: of teen dating violence and how it affects men. And my name is Vivian and I will be talking about teen dating violence in females. My name is Teresa and I will
3: be talking about teen dating violence in the LGBTQ plus community. So
1: let's start off with what teen dating violence is. So teen dating violence is the physical, sexual, psychological, or emotional and or all abuse or violence within a dating relationship among adolescents.
2: So to start off, I will be talking about females in physically aggressive relationships. So last year, one in 11 female high school students report having experienced physical dating violence Girls are more likely to report self defense as a motivator for aggression, while boys were more likely to report for the desire of control. And there were two studies that showed females being the sole perpetrators in relationships. And one of them, including a study in 2001 to 2005 by Peggy Giordano and her colleagues at Bowling Green State University, interviewed over 1,300 seventh, ninth, And 11th graders in Toledo, Ohio. In the survey they conducted, over half of the girls in physically aggressive relationships said both they and their partner committed aggressive acts during the relationship. But about a third of the girls said that they were the sole perpetrators and 13% reported that they were the sole victims. 6% of the males reported that they were the sole perpetrators and almost half of them reported being sole victim, which I found surprising because usually you would hear about males being the sole perpetrators. But in this case, you would see that there were more females that were physically aggressive.
1: Yeah, as you like will hear from the, when I talk about men, um, it's always more of what you hear is the men is the perpetrator in at least women's stories. But you never really hear about the males being victims either. So like to hear that, the women are sole perpetrators uh, is kind of shocking because like, you don't really hear about that because men don't come out with their story. But like, it's weird to hear it in this form because you don't hear about it.
3: Yeah, I agree. I feel like men don't come out with their stories as much as women do because of the stigma around how men are, you know, more aggressive or they're stronger than women. So I think that's why men are less likely to report um, domestic abuse.
2: I agree. And it actually shows in the next study here. In 2007, a similar survey was conducted with over 1,200 high school students in Long Island, New York. 66% of the boys and 65% of the girls in physically aggressive relationships reported mutual aggression. And this part was what I found shocking. 28 percent of the girls reported that they were the sole perpetrators in the relationship and five percent reported that they were the victim. But this was actually the opposite with the boys because five percent reported being the sole perpetrators while 26 percent reported that they were the victim. And I found this shocking because like I said in the first study you would find that Usually the males are perpetrators, but there's also the case where they don't report when they are a victim, because like Teresa said, there's a stigma around it where if males came out with their story, they would most likely be seen as the antagonist or seen um, in a bad light and people wouldn't believe them compared to when females share their stories.
1: Well, I mean, not only that, it's like, why would you want as a man, because there is so much stigma, uh, come out and be like, yeah, I'm a perpetrator in this relationship. Like, it just makes you look like a bad person. So I guess you wouldn't want to be like out there and being like talking uh, to like people who are conducting this uh, survey and be like, oh yeah, I do this in a relationship and I do this in a bad way. But then again, when when you hear the percent is 26% are saying they're victims, you're like, oh, well, I guess they feel more comfortable coming out as it's just a number and nobody's actually hearing that it's their name or their or their like story. And for the women, I guess, because women aren't typically seen as aggressive, it's easier for them to come out and say that they are aggressive in a relationship than it is for them to be victims because then they're just being like, oh, I'm like everybody else because there's so many so many women who are getting abused and being victims of this. And then another person comes out and they're like with their story and they're like, Oh, another one. So I could see why the numbers are like that in specific, but like, it's still shocking to see that the numbers are so low in some parts and so high in others.
2: I also wanted to bring up an experiment that I found and It was actually an experiment where teen couples were videotaped while performing a problem-solving task together, and 30% of the participating couples demonstrated physical aggression by both partners, and in 17% of the couples, only the girls perpetrated physical aggression, and in 4% of the couples, the boys were the sole perpetrators, And the findings suggested that boys were less likely to be physically aggressive with the girl when someone is observing their behavior. And I find that this part wasn't as surprising because I don't think anyone would want to be physically aggressive with their partner if someone is observing or watching them. But I think that the case is a little different with females because usually in teen relationships, if you find a girl playfully fighting or teasing their partner, then it would be played off as a joke or, or some friendly teasing. But if it were the other way around, and if you saw that a a guy was like play hitting, play fighting with a female, you would think that they were being aggressive with them. And I think that it's also easier that way for females to come forward and say if they were the sole perpetrator in a relationship because they usually, like Alexa said, they aren't usually seen as aggressive. While it's harder for... Um, males to come out as um, victims because no one would really believe them
1: yeah like I feel like you're a woman and you come out and be like yeah I play hit my boyfriend and we are always doing that and then he were she were to do that like nobody would be like oh that's not right but if a man were to be like outright I play hit my girlfriend in the arm when we're joking around and everybody would be like that's not cool. You're not supposed to touch a woman and you're abusing her. So I understand like
2: that survey as well. I agree. And like, like you said, when females are sharing about it, then they wouldn't be judged as harshly compared to males. And I find that this is actually, this should be changed because in reality, if, A partner is getting hit it doesn't matter like it doesn't matter if they're female or male they're still getting hit and it could be abuse and I think that the behavior and like the perspective that everyone has should be changed because they shouldn't go easy on females just because they aren't seen as aggressive and they aren't usually seen as the perpetrators in relationships with physical abuse and that the perspective on males should change as well because we shouldn't just see them as the bad guys and that they can be victims as well
1: I mean not only that it's also like I mean it's not to say that like all times you see somebody play hit somebody it means abuse and it doesn't mean that all times that like you don't see it that they're not being abused right so and not to take away from the fact that women and men's experiences are the same because they're very much not because of the stigmas and because of so many social factors.
3: Yeah, I agree with Alexis and about how like they're both very different. But um, I know that what we can see is that women are more likely to suffer abuse, and maybe because men don't report, they because um, men don't report that they're in abusive relationships. But from what the evidence that we have now, women are more likely to get abused in a relationship.
2: I have a story to share, and it's anonymous, but the name that is in the story is just a fake name. So this is a story about Reina and her abuser.
1: Just to cut you off for a second
2: uh, trigger warning for this story. Raina met her abuser when she was just 14 years old. After talking for a year, he gave her a ride home and raped her. As the violence escalated, Raina learned she was pregnant and faced a heartbreaking decision to abort the pregnancy. Reina shares with us how the abuse she experienced affected her both during the abuse and after leaving the relationship, and how important it is for victims and survivors to know that sexual violence occurring in the context of a relationship is still abuse. My story started when I was 14, and he was much older than me, already in his 20s. We had spent a year talking and getting to know each other before getting involved. After being raped, sexual violence abuse became a normal dynamic in the relationship. Because we had known each other for a while, I felt comfortable accepting when he offered me a ride home from a party one night in June 2014. It was the first time I ever had sex, and the first time I was ever raped. I could hardly walk for days afterward, and what followed was six years of routine sexual violence. A few times, I was hospitalized because he would use objects that caused severe internal injuries, and as a result, I have been left with long-term medical issues. After a while, it escalated to include general physical violence, like holding bags and pillows over my head, trying to break my wrists, and smashing my head on things when he got frustrated. He regularly called me names and had even secretly recorded our intimate moments to show all his friends. I quickly learned that he had a fixation for things that triggered fear and panic, including suffocating me until I couldn't breathe. He often told me how he fantasized about killing me, the various ways he would carry it out and what he would do to cover it up. When Reina shared that she was pregnant, the man who abused her threatened her to abort their unborn child. In 2017, I became pregnant. He threatened my life and made menacing threats about using a coat hanger if I did not abort the baby. During the same week we discovered that I was carrying his child, the abuse escalated to a new level of violence. When I asked him if he would ever do those things to me in front of our baby, he could not answer the question. Because of the danger I faced, I knew what I had to do. My abortion was to save me, and most importantly, my little baby from him. Afterward, he only gave me 48 hours before he sexually assaulted me again, leading to an infection. I was beyond miserable. Once I had reached the age of 20, I noticed he was more interested in younger girls around 15 or 16 years old. I had enough and broke off the relationship, but that did not stop him from trying to get to me. He would stalk my house and continue to make death threats against me. I feel that I was completely let down by the police, so I'm trying to help myself feel more empowered and use my story to help empower others. Rarely do I see information on sexual violence in relationships. I think that is why it had taken so long for me to realize how abusive my relationship truly was. Sharing my story has a purpose. I hope what I went through can help others who have similar experiences, because I needed someone to enlighten me on the reality of what I was going through. As a result of the abuse, I now have to deal with long-term physical injuries and every time it impacts my daily life, it triggers memories that take me straight back to the man that caused them. I am determined to make something of myself despite this. I am more than just a victim. I am a survivor and I will shine as a young woman.
1: I think that last sentence right there is like truly a very powerful statement in its own. Yes, the story is like unimaginable of what she went through, But, like, that statement, yeah, people who are in these situations or were in these situations, they're not victims for the rest of their life. They survived it. And, yeah, she has long-term effects from that, but she still is surviving through those things. And it's incredibly admirable because not everybody could go through that and come out and share their story whether it's anonymous or not and it's truly an inspiration to see somebody able to do it because when you hear statistics yeah you hear like a number and you're like yeah that's a number but when you actually get to hear the stories which you rarely do honestly to hear everybody's stories you're like you turn into like this is an actual person out of this many people there's so many stories that are to be told, whether it's public or private, there's still so many stories. And those numbers are people
2: who have stories. And I
1: I just, she's so strong for going through what she did and coming out a survivor.
2: I agree with that because in the story, she even mentioned that it took her a while to realize she was in a physically abusive relationship and she wanted to share her story to help empower others. And I find that to be... I find her to be really brave. And she's, she was really courageous to share her story because I know a lot of people have a hard time reaching out for help, reporting their stories and sharing their experience because it reminds them of what happened. But like you said, Alexis, she is a survivor and she helped a lot of people by sharing her story if they were going through the, something similar. But I find that it's also really sad to hear that there are people who need help to get out of those relationships, but they only are able to get out after, like, let's say, reading about another similar experience that they're going through online or hearing about it from someone else. And I find that the number of victims is not something that should be increasing anymore, because hearing the story, hearing someone go through something as traumatic as this, it just should not happen. And hearing that A lot of people get help from hearing the stories. The number of stories being shared, it should not be that many because the victims, the number of victims should not be increasing.
3: I agree with uh, what Vivian has said. I think that the more stories that come out, people will realize that they're in abusive relationships and be able to, you know, get a sense of help from these stories. But at the same time, it's, sad that they're still increasing to this day.
2: I found it really surprising because this story was anonymously submitted on Break the Silence domestic violence website, where survivors can share their stories about violence in their relationships. There was a large amount of stories on the website and each of them were from a survivor and they all had their own experience to go through. And seeing that a lot of them were females going through the violent relationships what about males? We often think that males are the perpetrators in physically violent relationships, but is that really the case? Because we haven't heard much about males being the victims. I
1: agree. We always do hear on the news and stuff like that of like of males being portrayed as antagonists and perpetrators. And how can you not believe that in an abusive relationship, it's the man? Because- You always hear stats on the news, like 60% of Canadian college age males report that they would commit sexual assault or rape if they were certain that they would not get caught in 1995. And then they redo the survey in 2015 with 73 men who were surveyed, and a third of them said they would force a woman into sexual intercourse if they couldn't get caught and there wouldn't be any consequences. I mean, yeah, those numbers did drop when, when researchers explicitly used the word rape. But even then, 13% of participants
2: said they would rape if they could. I find that really shocking because when I first heard the fact, I thought that the 60% of the college-age males um, that would sexually assault or rape someone, and that was in 1995. But even now, the updated stats, there are still men who would sexually assault and rape someone. And thinking about it is uncomfortable, and it's kind of disturbing because One of those people could be someone that you know, could be a close relative, it could be a friend. And I don't understand why exactly a man, what goes through the mind of a man who would agree and admit that they would rape someone if they weren't be caught, because some other man could be thinking the same thing. And that could potentially lead to a victim of someone's family member and someone's friend.
3: I agree as well. But um, how it mentions that they are college students, I think that it's the stats are shocking, but it's also not surprising because college students, you know, they always have these parties and, you know, they are drinking and they're doing, might do drugs. And I think that a lot of these perpetrators um, find these vulnerable women or men and are able to sexually assault them. So I don't think that the stats are that surprising for college students.
1: Well, yeah, and then they try to blame that they raped or sexually assaulted these women on the drugs and alcohol, which is very disturbing because that is not a reason... want to talk about male victims and their stories and change that perspective even though it is such a big deal and that we should talk about it but i want to talk about something that is talked about less in media and on the news and all of those types of things so one in 4 men in the US will experience rape physical violence and or stalking by an intimate partner i find that astonishing that We don't hear that on the news. Yeah, we hear that a man raped a girl at a party or a man sexually assaulted a woman, but we don't hear that one in four men in the US experience rape or violence
2: or being stalked or any of that on the news. That's kind of like the perspective that everyone holds as well. Like I mentioned earlier, on the news, you would see a female victim and a male perpetrator and In reality, a lot of people see physically abusive relationships that way, or sexual assault cases and rape cases. They would usually think that the female was the victim and the male was the perpetrator. And you don't see often on the news that a male was a victim.
1: Yeah, which is why I want to change the perspective of this. Even though we talked about how we feel as women, it's just because of the portrayal of what of men in the media and I want to be a part of the change and not continuing this only females are victims and men are only uh antagonists or perpetrators in the media anymore which leads me into a story of a friend of a friend he was at a party and some stuff happened to him and I'm going to share the story with you guys Another quick trigger warning here for the story I'm about to share. This person went to a party. He got drunk and he started to feel sick. So his friend led him into the bathroom and he started to throw up. His friend decided to continue to party and left him. About 20 minutes later, a girl walks in and starts comforting him because he's still being sick. He finally stops and just sits on the floor with her. She starts to flirt and touch him a lot. And he tells her that he really doesn't want to do anything with anyone tonight. She ignores this and keeps going, saying how she's super pretty and he would be glad because he's lucky. Things escalated and despite his protest, she strips him. He then starts to throw up again, but this time he blacks out. He wakes up fully unclothed with lipstick marks all over him, including his privates. He told all his male friends, but they all just said he's lucky to get some. The girls he Told question if he was the one who raped her despite his unconsciousness. Six to 30% of boys are subject to sexual abuse before the age of 18. That is an extremely high number, considering that you don't really hear about it, right? So, for the first time you're hearing of a number of before the age of 18 about boys, that's a high number to hear. And I guess the reason a lot of boys or men don't come out about being raped is because their friends say that he's lucky to even get some or get attention and then the girls question if he's just trying to change the narrative and he's the one who raped her and in the story he was unconscious for it so you know it like it makes a more stigma of why men don't come out and say that yeah I was raped by a girl it happens. I
2: think that because there are male victims out there and not many people hear about it often but even when they do people do not take it seriously they take it lightly if the male victim were to share their experience with their male friends like Alexa said in the story they would get a response saying that they were lucky to get some and if it would work for both ways as well if they were to sh- if a female were to share their story it would work both ways as well but differently because if a female were to share her story about being raped she would be judged terribly by her friends and judged harshly thinking that um she was easy and that she was desperate and i just think that this makes it really hard for male victims to come out and to report their experiences because like Alexis said in the story, the female friends would ask if they weren't the perpetrator in the case while they were unconscious. And it makes it harder to get their stories and get um, have, their ho- have their voices heard because they would be seen as the perpetrator in the case.
1: I mean, because of that, it made it a lot harder to find a teen violence dating story because... Nobody wants to talk about it, especially if they are a teenager, because it feels like they're being emasculated. It doesn't feel right to come out and say that I was raped as a man. So I looked around for a teen dating violence story, and I couldn't find one on the internet. So I actually had to go to a friend of a friend, and I got permission to use his story. And I'm going to put a trigger warning right here, because it is a very heavy Topic, and it's a very heavy story. And reading it for the first time, I was very good state, and it still made me really upset in some parts. And so, I'm gonna put a trigger warning. So, the trigger warning is for abuse, rape, sexual assault, and talks of murder. I started dating this person when I was 17. They were so sweet, and they would do anything I wanted to do, they would take me out and pay for everything. At one point, I started feeling bad that they were paying for everything, but every time I brought it up, they just say, but I want to spoil you. We had been dating for three months, and I started noticing that the anything you want babe mentality was slowly starting to stop. They would grab my arm a bit tighter, or when they would hold my chin to get me to look up, it'd be more aggressive and just held in a tighter way. At this point, I was starting to see marks on the places they'd squeeze tighter. I would only wear long sleeve shirts so my friends didn't see the marks. In a way, I was ashamed of what was happening to me. Whenever we go to a party, if I dared to even look at another person, they'd squeeze my arms tighter and whisper into my ear some explicit thing that they'd do to me if I didn't obey them. I was not allowed to have any people of their gender on my phone. If it wasn't, my parents, Or siblings. They would track my phone and messages and even look at the texts I would send my mother to make sure I wasn't saying anything bad about them. January came and their parents left to go to Europe for three weeks. The first night that they left, I told my mom I was staying at theirs, but she thought their parents would be home too. Otherwise, she wouldn't have let me go. So we were in the house together, watching some childish movie. I stood up to go to the bathroom, taking my phone with me. They held my wrists and told me to put my phone down. I put it on the coffee table and went to the bathroom. I was thinking and scanning through my brain, making sure that I deleted anything that they shouldn't be seeing. Then I remembered I had texted my sister about a bruise that I had on my left thigh from them holding me so hard and aggressively. I was scared to leave the bathroom. I knew what they were capable of and it scared me. When I finally mustered up enough courage to leave the bathroom, I saw them sitting behind the table my phone on one side and a pocket knife on the other. They told me to sit down next to them. I did as they said, and they started shouting at me, calling me all types of names. They raised their hand above their head and hit me on the face for the first time. Then they took the pocket knife that had been laying on the coffee table and climbed on top of me. They took the knife and pressed it against my neck they said if I ever tell anyone about our relationship, they would not hesitate to use this knife. They pressed it harder into my neck, and at that point, I didn't see them. I saw a total stranger. I was scared of them. With the knife, they stabbed my phone until it was nothing but shards of glass. They then sat down on the couch and told me to give them oral sex or they'll choke me. I did it, and as I was doing it, they pushed my head down until they saw that I was turning purple from not being able to breathe. Then they'd let me go and laugh. It seemed as if they got pleasure out of seeing me on the edge of death. We went to bed because they wouldn't let me leave. I was sleeping when I felt them masturbating next to me. They started to lean over to my side and slid off the pajama pants that I had on. I told them that I wasn't ready yet and they just replied with, if you loved me, you'd do it. I begged them to let me be but they just wouldn't. They held on to me tight in a way I couldn't escape. They took off my boxers, and they kept putting their hands around my mouth. They flipped me over and forced my head into pillows, pressing it down so I could barely breathe. Then they they raped me. It was so painful. I screamed in pain, and they just pushed my head harder into the pillows. They started beating my back with their fist. They tossed me off the bed, slapped me one last time, and told me to stay on the floor. I went to the bathroom to clean myself up. I was bleeding and my back was almost the same color as blood. I looked at my body in the mirror and felt disgusted at myself. Every time the smallest inconvenience happened, they would take it out on me, hit me, and put a knife to my throat. They seemed to get pleasure out of it. Raping had become a normal thing for them. I would cry and beg and they'd aggressively do their thing. Months went on and I had already broken my arm six times. My left knee was shattered once, my skull had a small fracture on it, and my jaw had been dislocated from getting punched about eight times. They not only physically abused me, but also mentally and emotionally. They would call me names and put me down for having an ugly body. They said I was undesirable and only good for sex. My family was starting to question things, but I gave dishonest answers. I knew they'd hurt me if anything came to light. I'm terrified to meet anyone new. I can't deal with the thought that maybe they would be like the person I dated. If anyone raised their hand at me, I would fully shut down. I really don't know what to do. I just wanna crawl up and be left alone. I also think as the years passed, I became more aware of my surroundings. If I'll see any symptoms of abuse as much as the tiniest bruise on someone's arm or face, I instantly just want to help them. That relationship lasted over a year. Disgusting to hear that that's even a story, but amazing that he was willing to share his story with us for this discussion. And I have a feeling he will be listening. And I want to say that you are a strong person for going through what you did and coming out better in the end. But this is one of many stories in so many statistics that is involving not only rape but sexual assault and all of those sort of things and i can only imagine how hard it was to get out of this relationship
2: i agree like we said a lot of times earlier it's really hard for people to come out with their stories especially male victims because you don't hear them often in the news online anywhere And it takes a lot to share these because there aren't that many stories of male victims shared online or on the news or anywhere. It's really hard to find stories that you could relate to because you could see yourself in the situation or experiencing the same thing. And it's really hard to come out with your own story because you may feel like you're the only one going through such a thing because it's not talked about as often and you may be judged harshly.
3: Yeah, I think stories like this will make um, male victims, like they'll, it will give them a sense of comfort to know that they're not the only ones suffering this type of abuse. And it may even help them report it and ask for help.
1: I think it's easier for somebody to come out and report stuff. That they're being abused or coming to terms with that they're being abused, sexually assaulted, and all of those sort of things when they know that somebody of the same sex as them is also going through that and was also able to come out of that and turned it into a survivor story. I thought this story was like very important to add as well because it's a really good example of what men go through when they're being abused because it isn't the same thing as when a woman is being abused. And it isn't as easy to talk about as when a woman is abused. And I know we've said this word so many times, but it is because of stigma and we need to break that stigma in order to progress with these men being able to talk about their stories and being able to come out as survivors of teen dating violence. I believe he was 17 at the time when this uh, started happening to him. Yeah, it says he was 17. So he wasn't even an adult. He was probably still in school. Could you imagine seeing stories of another teen going through this and being able to come out and tell everybody without getting backlash or anything like that? Like, that would be amazing for not only the victims, but any of their friends who know that this is going on behind the scenes And now that their friend can talk about it freely, on average per minute, there are 24 people who are victims of rape, physical violence, or stalking by an intimate partner in the United States. That's extremely high statistics when you put per minute into per 60 seconds. There's 24 people per 60 seconds getting raped or stalked or physically experiencing physical violence. I think that 24 people per minute is crazy as you don't hear that. You really don't hear it in the news. And, and 53% of male victims of rape, physical violence, and or stalking by an intimate partner had their first experience with an intimate partner before the age of 25. That's astonishing when you put it into context that like there's 14, 15, 16 year olds, our aged women or girls are raping and getting violent or stalking their partners or ex-partners?
2: I find it surprising that it's happening at such a young age as well because there are families at home, people who grow up to be abusers and perpetrators in physically abusive relationships. Oftentimes it's because of negative trauma or experiences they've experienced at home when they were younger and they grow up to become somebody who is physically aggressive in relationships.
3: Yeah, Vivian um, basically touched on what I was going to say, that, you know, if there are children that are this young being this abusive, it has to happen at home. They have to be learning this type of abuse from the people that they live with in their households. It's just very surprising that kids this young can be so violent.
1: now that we're done talking about heterosexual relationships and we could do a lot more talking about that but there's another group of people who experience teen dating violence but isn't talked about very often lgbtq plus
3: teen dating violence is much more common in lgbtq plus relationships than it is in heterosexual relationships with 43 percent of lgbtq plus youth reporting being victims of physical dating violence compared to the 29% of heterosexual youth. Some teens may even have difficulty realizing that they're in an abusive relationship no matter how severe their abuse is because dating violence is usually discussed and defined within a heterosexual context. This brings me to the story I found.
1: This brings us to the last trigger warning on this story.
3: Brad, who was 16 at the time he met his abuser, Joshua, who was 35, had never been in a relationship before until he met Joshua, who introduced him to the gay scene, bought him presents, and made him feel special. Over the years he was in this relationship, he progressively lost his independence and self-esteem. Joshua constantly made fun of Brad's weight, and when he asked him to stop, he was told he couldn't take a joke. It got to the point where Brad hated his body so much that he wouldn't even take off his shirt before getting into bed without turning off the light. Joshua had pressured Brad to move in with him and guilted him into working at his store, even though Brad already had a job. This is when Joshua started isolating Brad from his family and friends and stopping him from enjoying his hobbies. Two years into the relationship, Brad was ready to leave, but was scared of what Joshua would do. So he stayed and endured the emotional abuse. About five years into the relationship, Joshua hit him. Brad broke things off, but that didn't stop the abuse. For 18 months, Joshua would call him and tell him he was diagnosed with HIV or that he was suicidal. When Brad realized he was being manipulated and to still having contact with him, he told him I had to stop. Joshua replied, I can't. I only chose someone as young as you so I can make him into the boyfriend I wanted. It's too hard to do that again. Implying that he would have gone after someone as young as Brad when they first started dating. It took Brad months after the relationship to realize he had been abused after reading a story about a heterosexual woman in an abusive relationship.
1: I think it's really sad after hearing the statistics that LGBTQ plus go through more teen dating violence than heterosexual relationships because like you don't hear the stories. And it's even worse that he found out that he was being abused after hearing a heterosexual woman and her story. Like, their statistics are higher. Why is he learning about himself being abused through a heterosexual story? It should be talked about more that LGBTQ plus experience
2: abuse as well, if not more. Yeah, I agree. I find that because the LGBTQ plus community is experiencing more of teen dating violence and physically abusive relationships that you would expect there to be more stories being shared about it but at the same time it's understandable because a lot of the people in a lgbtq plus um relationship they may not be out of the closet and that the partner that they're with the abusive partner they may be threatening to out them to their family and friends which makes it harder for them to share their story because sharing their story would mean having to risk outing themselves and Facing judgment from others. And I find that it's also really sad how they had to find that they were being abused after reading a story about a heterosexual woman in, in an abusive relationship because there should be experiences or story being stories being told that they can relate to, because that would be able to help them more. And it's already hard enough finding stories online about heterosexual men and women, and it must be harder to find stories about the LGBTQ community.
3: So I found this story from Tales from Another Closet, where you can read personal stories of domestic violence and same-sex relationships. There are many challenges and fears LGBTQ teens face when it comes to reaching out for help. Like Vivian um, said, many perpetrators use the fear of outing the victim to their peers as a form of coercion. In a study of 521 youth attending a rally. Researchers found that bisexual males had over five times the odds of gay males for being threatened to be outed by a partner, and bisexual females had over five times the odds of lesbians for being threatened to be outed by a partner. Some victims may even be protecting their abuser who hasn't come out yet. And speaking about protecting their abuser, many LGBTQ plus teens face homelessness, with 30% of street youth identifying as lesbian, gay, or bisexual, and 6.8% of street youth identifying as transgender. So the only home they might have might be with their abuser, and some teens rather face the abuse than be homeless. Transgender youth are especially at risk, with an Urban Institute study showing that they report the highest rates of physical dating violence, with 88.9%, psychological dating abuse, with 58.8%, Cyber dating abuse with 56.3%, and sexual coercion, which is 61.1%. Speaking of sexual coercion, 23% of LGBTQ teens reported sexual coercion compared to the 12% of heterosexual youth. And LGBTQ teens are highly susceptible to human trafficking due to the higher risk of homelessness and depression and/or other types of mental illnesses. And for teens who rely on their abuser for support because they are homeless or face other challenges, their abuser could easily take advantage of the victim's vulnerability and force them into prostitution. LGBTQ teens lack resources and support, and many are uncomfortable reaching out to authorities for help. This is one of the many reasons abusive LGBTQ relationships go unreported. Many fear the report won't be taken seriously because of outdated beliefs, such as two men fighting is common, women don't hurt each other, or these relationships are always unstable. As a result, young people who identify as LGBTQ plus and are seeking help may have to deal with limited services, conflicting values, and unwarranted phobias about the orientation. Many teens feel shame and guilt over being an LGBTQ relationship in the first place. This conflict is frequently the product of social stigmas and makes it even harder to ask for help. I think it's a little bit scary to hear
1: that they aren't coming out about their stories because they can't go to people who are supposed to help them because they're worried that they're not going to get equal, if not any help, because they're dating either the same sex or became the opposite gender or any of the sort. And I think we need to change that because a lot of police officers and all of those people you go to to get help are really important. And hearing that you can't come out and tell your story because the people you go to to get help, you can't do without being in fear is sad and scary because uh, me as a straight woman wouldn't have that as a thought in my mind because I'm a woman dating Men. So it's not like a fear that registers in my mind like it would for them.
3: Yeah. And um, there are some solutions to this. Like, I, when I was researching, I read that, you know, guidance counselors in schools should have a little bit more training on this. So, you know, if these teens are too scared to go to the authorities, they're able to reach for an adult to get help. And some of these times, some, sometimes the guidance counselors lack. Um, resources and training for them and, you know, it often goes unreported and they stay in the relationship. Despite the myths surrounding teen dating violence that heterosexual teens are more likely to suffer an abusive relationship, it is proven that LGBTQ plus teens suffer abusive relationships more if it goes unreported. With
1: that being said, we could go on for a very long time, continuing to talk about this subject,
3: but... We want to thank you for listening to our discussion, and we just want our listeners to know, teen dating violence is extremely dangerous for teen victims of any sexual orientation. Women aren't only victims, and men aren't only antagonists. But male victims and women victims' experience aren't the same. If you or anyone you know has experienced teen dating violence, please visit www.ending violencecanada.org for a list of resources. We want to end this discussion on a thinking note with this question. Why might a person stay in an abusive relationship and why do they sometimes return when they have gotten away?
0: Special thanks goes out to Alexis, Teresa, and Vivian for their hard work on this episode and to Natalie, the TDSB experiential learning educator. If you like this episode, be sure to tune in and share this podcast with your friends and followers. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Less Talk Injury. Bye for now.